Our reading today comes from 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Final charge to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot of blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. 
with which some have professed and have so doing departed from the faith. Faith, sorry. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Be careful through there. Be careful. Morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Uh, we're on the last week of our series through 1 Timothy, a letter that was written to a young church, a church that's trying to work out what are they on about and how to do things that glorify God. Uh, we've been on this journey for about seven weeks or so. Uh, there's been some interesting things that have challenged us, challenged the way we think about things. Uh, and this one, to end on money, it's a nice, quiet, peaceful subject, isn't it? So I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, probably our least attended service in the last seven weeks could do with money. I'm not sure where that goes hand in hand. Uh, but I'm sure we're going to be challenged and encouraged this morning as we work through this passage. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you're a good God, a loving God. You call us your children and you love to take care of us. Lord, we pray as we talk about life here in a practical way, things like money, Lord, that you would guide us and give us your understanding, give us your mind, we pray, as you meet with us, as you speak with us through your word, and as you open our minds through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've called this series um, Hashtag Disillusion because lots of people get disillusioned with the church. Uh, we see a number of people, when they think of church, if you ask people on the street, they would say, oh, the church, they're just all about money. And you don't really blame them for thinking like that. They'd be disillusioned about the church, thinking it's all about money, because, you know, let's pass the plate around again. Um, there's lots of churches that have made money the focus and have given up on preaching Jesus. It's all about the money and how, whether it's for you or for the church, uh, the money has become the focus. But there's also another growing group of people that are disillusioned with the church because they're not receiving the money that the church has promised, that the preacher has promised. It's not working out like they said. So they're disillusioned with God. God's a liar. Teaching like, uh, God has the victory over all things and he wants to give you the victory, you know, victory over health, over wealth, over happiness. All you have to do is claim the victory, ask for it, and it'll be yours. Or things like, uh, another one, which is almost a word-for-word -word quote, everything belongs to God. So you can choose to be poor by not asking for God for, for what you want, but for the rest of us, we're going to be blessed. We're going to receive the blessings because we're going to ask. And we are blessed. And the, the wealthy preacher shows how, much, how many jets and boats they've got and things like that. Uh, but it's a disillusionment. It's like God's going to give you this. Just call on him. And it all sounds very good, very persuasive. It's sort of the God I want to follow. It's the lifestyle I want to have. Just open up your bank account and God's just going to pour money into it and give you stuff and make you happy. And it sounds very appealing. Now we get to the spot in the end of 1 Timothy where Paul's writing and he's going, look, when you think of doctrines, you've got to be really careful. I mean, when, we, when he uses the word doctrines, uh, often we think doctrines, I don't like that word in itself. Uh, I just love it when on TV they talk about churches indoctrinating their people. And that's a really bad thing. And I have churches saying we don't believe in doctrines because they're like old school. And you kind of go, well, I've got news for you. That's a doctrine. If you don't believe something, doctrines is just what you believe. 
It's what you believe about stuff. That is a doctrine. So don't be scared of that word. But Paul's saying, when you, when you take doctrines, there's true doctrines and there's false doctrines. There's true doctrines we can measure up to what God thinks and what, what God uh, is t- telling us through his son Jesus. God says, you want to know my mind? You want to know how I'm feeling about something or thinking about something? Have a look at my son Jesus. Jesus is God's son. We are one. If you want to know me, know my son. So if you want to know a true belief, a true doctrine, have a look at Jesus. But when you get up to any doctrine, to know whether it's true or it's false, hold it up to Jesus. So he goes on in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. Saying, look, you've got to hold any doctrine up to Jesus. Have a close look at it. Is it true or is it deceiving? Is it wrong? I had uh, over 25 years ago now, when Kim and I were dating, uh, I gave her a ring. It wasn't an engagement ring. It was a friendship ring had a thumping big rock, not just any sort of rock on it, uh, a, you know, Hollywood movie star style rock on this friendship ring. Uh, and everybody used to look at it and be amazed, go, wow, Ross is very generous. He must be on a good wicket to afford a stone like that. And also he must love Kim a lot to give her a ring like that is not even an engagement ring. And the truth be told, well, the truth be told, Kim probably bought it for herself because I was a mechanic, apprentice mechanic, and I didn't have any money to my name anyway. But the truth be told, it wasn't a diamond at all. It was just a bit of glass, a cubic zirconia. It looked very impressive. And to look at it was amazing. But when you had a close look at it, you held it up with a real diamond. You could see one really sparkled and the other one just looked nice. But you hold it up closely to tell. Without holding up closely, you couldn't really tell. This is what Paul's saying. When it comes across teachings, what we believe, hold it up to Jesus. Is Jesus the mind of God and see if it's true? If it's not true, he's saying, look, it's false. The people who come up with stuff are conceited. They understand nothing. Now, he's going to clamp down on a particular... He's got something in mind, a teaching, which he says in verse 5. He says, these guys have robbed the truth and are teaching that godliness is a means to financial gain. You know, if you be godly, you know, do all the Christian thing, God's going to pour out his blessings on you and you'll have everything you ever want. This is great. Uh, in fact, this teaching 2,000 years ago is still around today and it's so popular today, it's even got a name. They call it prosperity gospel because God wants to make you prosperous in this life now. In fact, that's the catchphrase, God wa- uh, the best life now. That's what God wants to give you. It's all about blessings now. So if I claim the, pr- claim the prize, claim the victory of God, I can have it now. If I pray the prayer of Jabez, an Old Testament prayer, God will bless me now. God's going to do these things if I do the right things by him. God will bless me, give me money, fix all my problems. I find it interesting if you go down to any, most of the local shops, but particularly in Sunnybank, you go in the front door and every front door of every shop, there are those gold cats the cats with their hand out, which are designed to uh, make them rich. Uh, it's meant to somehow uh, bring them good luck, uh, to make them rich, make them prosper. That, that's what it's all about. Now, we go in there from a Western background or even from a Christian background and go, you superstitious fools, what are you doing? It's a plastic 
cat with gold paint on it, what is that going to do to make you rich? You know, how superstitious is that? But yet we've got thousands of Christians running around doing exactly the same thing. If I do this with God, he's going to bless me. If I do this, he's going to make me prosper. And we treat God like a superstitious ornament. That's what he's going to do for us. But Paul's saying, have a close look at something like that. Hold it up to Jesus. Don't just take my word for it. Is this what Jesus teaches? So we see Jesus, uh, if anybody deserved blessings, it's him. Perfect obedience, perfect trust in his father, lived a perfect life, was completely sinless. If anybody deserved blessings, it was him and his life that he led. Yet he was jobless, homeless, penniless. You know, he was the original couch surfer, didn't even have a bed to lay his own head on, went to everybody else's uh, charity. He's even so poor when he died, he couldn't even afford his own funeral. Somebody else had to give him their own gravesite to land. It's like for the prosperity guys, they'd be going, well, there must have been something wrong with him that God wouldn't pour out their, his blessings on them. Must have had some kind of hidden sin or he didn't really trust God. Is he really the son of God that God wouldn't bless him in a prosperous sort of way? Raise a whole bunch of questions. Unless it's different. You know, Jesus living this way, and it's a different teaching. He says it's wrong. It's wrong if you see somebody who's poor to think that, oh, well, God must have something against you. He's not blessing you. Or if somebody's rich, I want, to, I want what you've got because you're doing something that God is blessing and I want to follow your lead. It's going, it's wrong. That's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the example Jesus gave. But it raises a whole bunch of questions when we go, okay, this doesn't measure up to Jesus. This whole idea that God's going to prosper you through your godliness. Then raise the question, how should we view money? How should we view prosperity? Doesn't God want us to be happy? Because in our culture, we relate money and wealth with happiness. Money makes us happy, right? That's how the world goes around. Uh, our modern day philosopher and Australian, Clive Palmer, uh, well, we get lots of truths from him, don't we? He recently said, when asked about his business and his wealth, he says, my business empire, whatever assets I own, are set up for one purpose only, and that's to make me happy, and I am happy. That's what he says, and we believe it too. It's very true. He's the only one that speaks his mind because he's got so much money, he doesn't care if nobody likes him. But we believe it too. Money makes us happy. How would you feel if you received a letter from the tax department that says, look, we've had your tax all wrong for all these years. Here's a cheque for $100,000. $100,000 going to drop straight in your bank. Would you be happy with that? I see you're already thinking, what would I do with the extra $100,000? Well, what if you got a letter from the tax department saying, we've had your tax all wrong for the last so many years, you actually owe us $100,000. I mean, that cuts us deep, doesn't it? We don't like that. Money makes us happy. So what do we do with this teaching about money? How does it work? Well, Paul's going to go on. He's going to question the whole idea of money equals happiness. He goes on in verse 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. They're saying, you know, godliness leads to financial gain. Yeah, that's amazing. No, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not about the stuff you have, but it's about trusting God. It's all about trusting God. So he goes on in verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
He says, don't chase contentment with wealth. He says, I've got next to nothing. I've got the clothes I'm wearing. I've got food for tomorrow. I can be content with that. You can be content and have nothing. Still be happy, he says. But if you chase contentment through wealth, through the stuff you have, he says, you're treading on dangerous territory. You're going down a very dangerous path. He goes on in verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, money itself is not the problem, but chasing the money trial is if that's what you want, if that's what you think is going to give you satisfaction, if that's what you think is going to fulfil your life and answer all your dreams, he says to chase that money trail, you're actually going to give up trusting God. He says don't trust, don't give up on God, chase God, trust in him rather than chasing down the money trail. You can't do both. In a sense he's saying you can't have two masters. You're chasing money or chasing God. Money's not going to fix your problems. So how do we find contentment then? It's nice to say Paul had next to nothing. Uh, he was content. That's nice for him. But, you know, we've come to a standard of living that, you know, we want not just clothes. We want nice clothes. We don't want just food. We want nice food and the rest. How can we find contentment in today? See, Paul seems to have his eyes on something much greater. What brings him contentment? It's not just the fact of being poor makes you happy. There's something bigger he's talking about. He goes on in verse 11. But you men of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who give, gives life to everything. See the language he's using. Flee from all this. Flee from chasing the money trail. Flee from that. Don't go down that path. That's dangerous. But take hold of eternity. Grab that one. God's promised that and it's right before you. Take hold of that one. Don't let it go. And you can trust this God because he's the one who gives life to everything. You can trust him. You can't trust the share market. You can trust him. And he goes on to say, you can trust Jesus because Jesus will return. Uh, Jesus is the ruler. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is immortal. You can trust Jesus for eternity. And it's going to be that good. See, Paul has an eternal perspective on things. It's not just about the here and now. It's not about the best life now. But the good days are to come. The best life is to come. He'd laugh at the statement, your best life now. Paul would laugh at that. He's saying, you can have all the wealth in the world. You can have palaces, you can have servants, you can have all that in the here and now. But I'm telling you, it's the stale crumbs of the banquet table of heaven. That's where the banquet's going to be. That's where the joy's going to be, in heaven for eternity. You settle for something here and now, it's temporary. And it's not just second best, it's crumbs off the table, he says. It's just not worth it. But heaven is. So what does that look like for now? It's all right for, for Paul to say that 2,000 years ago. What does that look like for us now to live for heaven, live for eternity? 
we get a little bit of a glimpse. We've gone through 1 Timothy. We've gone through getting to know Paul a little bit, Timothy a little bit, this early church a little bit. But in 2 Timothy, we get to know him a little bit more. We're not going to do a series on 2 Timothy just yet, but I just want to give you a little bit of a taste of where he's going with it. And it gives you a bit of a picture on where Paul's coming from. So a bit of an overview of 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. I'll just pick out a few verses. Where he's charging Timothy. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel, for the gospel, uh, for the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. See, in the other verses, he's talked about he's in jail, really in jail. He's in chains and he's locked up for preaching the gospel. It's cold in jail. He's asking Timothy to bring his overcoat to keep him warm. He's lost everything. In human terms, he's a poor man in jail, locked up, cold and, you know, at, at the jailer's whim. He's also lost his friends. He's talked about how his friends have abandoned him. They're ashamed of him, he says. Uh, he names names. He basically says there's nobody in Asia that supports him anymore. They've all ashamed of him and abandoned him. So he's got no friends in jail, lonely, uh, in chains. But he says, don't be ashamed of our Lord Jesus or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Timothy, don't be like them. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and sell out on the gospel. I've preached the gospel and I've ended up in jail. Don't give up on the gospel. In fact, don't give up on me because I've been faithful and I've been preaching it. And instead of saying, you know, look, this hasn't worked out well. Paul's coming to the end of his life. He's got nothing. Say, so, look, don't make the mistakes I've made. Don't do what I do because you end up with nothing. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he says the opposite. He says to Timothy, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. He's saying, follow me. He's inviting. Do what I've done. I haven't sold out in the gospel. It's cost me, but I haven't sold out the gospel. And in fact, a lot of the prosperity guys will say, well, he just hasn't had the power of God on his side. He goes, yeah, I have the power of God by the power of God. He saved us all to the holy life. I see God at work in what's going on here. I see God at work in, in the, my life, in the people around me. This is the power of God at work. Sure, I've ended up in jail, but that's all fine. Don't give up on the gospel. Humanly speaking, is it a, a bad place? If you measure success by prosperity, He's a failure, a capital F, failure. But it's not just for Paul. It's not just for Timothy. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In fact, if you want to follow Jesus, don't sell out the gospel, you can expect a similar thing. To have poverty, not prosperity, poverty if you follow Jesus. That's the likely outcome. Now, it's not a particularly persuasive verse to pull out when you're convincing people to put their trust in Jesus, uh, that you might lose everything. But we see here Paul's perspective on eternity, that Paul's not living for the here and now, but he's got one eye on eternity. He's grabbed hold of eternity. This is what it looks like if we get further down to the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now we see here, he is in jail, he is in prison, he's about to die. 
He could easily die in prison. We don't know how he actually dies, but he knows his time has come. It hasn't been a joyous life if you count it pain and suffering and persecution. He says, my life's been poured out like a drink offering. I'm just done. I'm done. But instead of being angry at God, look at what he says in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is far from your best life now. It's far from that. But your best life is still to come. Your best life is still to come. He says, can you imagine entering into the gates of heaven? This life is done. You're entering the gates of heaven. And what you can see is the throne of God, the throne of the creator of all creation. Jesus is sitting on the throne in all his holiness, all his glory. And, and you, probably prompted by the angels, can walk up to the throne in boldness. You walk up to the throne. And what does Jesus say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You bow before the throne at his feet and he puts on the crown of righteousness on your head for all eternity to wear, to you to enjoy. The glorious day that that's going to be, that we sung about earlier, a glorious day when that happens. He says the furthest thing from your mind will be how much money or how little money you had in, while on this earth. The persecution you suffered. You, that would be so far from your mind because the glory is going to be so great. Live for that. Hang on to eternity for that. That's what it's going to be worth. That's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it. So with one eye on eternity, with giving up, not precious about the things we've got now, not chasing the money trail, what do we do with money? What do we do with money as believers here on this earth is it wrong to be rich you know we think again of jesus jesus was approached by a rich man and said how can i gain eternal life and jesus said to him uh, give away all your money sell all your possessions come and follow me and says the man couldn't he was grieved he was hurting so he went away disappointed and sad now it's not about jesus saying you must be poor to follow me but he goes on to explain, it's so hard for those people who hang on to their money, they've chased the money trail, that they're so obsessed with that, they've forgotten about following God. They're not prepared to trust in Jesus. So not saying it's money is wrong, it's saying it's wrong to have it as your God. It's not wrong to pray to God about our needs. It's not wrong to say, God, I've got lots of bills on the table. Can you help me out? Even Jesus prayed uh, in, in his prayer, something we call the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, saying, God, I've got needs. Please help me out for this day. I'm trusting you for that. So it's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to talk to God about your possessions. God wants that. But the question Paul's been asking, is money your God or... Are you using this God, the God of the Bible, to get access to your bigger God, your finances and your stuff? It's a bit like dating the, the sister of the girlfriend you really want to have. You're just dating her to get to the one you really want. I'm sure none of you wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but 
It's kind of like, I'll be the Christian, I'll play the game, because I know through this God of the Bible, he's going to really fill me up with blessings and make me prosper now. Are we even doing that? Are we doing that? He says, it's not wrong to have money, not wrong to have wealth, but are we playing games with God? Have we made money our God, our obsession? So he goes on, he wraps this up with a few verses, talking about our approach to money. And in fact is if you've got money or prosperity, there's a purpose to it. In fact, if you've got money or prosperity, which is all of us, I mean, let's face it, we're living in one of the richest countries in the world, average wage is like 75 grand a year, we're doing okay. We've got nice clothes, we have the nice food, we have the nice stuff. But with stuff, with prosperity, comes responsibility. First of all, he says, is it your God? He raises the question. So verse 17, uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth. So he's not saying tell them to give away their money. Just don't be arrogant about it. Uh, don't be, put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who, is rich, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So he doesn't say rich people are going to hell. No, he says, I know there's rich people in your church, Timothy, but here's what they've got to do. Don't have their wealth as their God. But with that wealth comes extra responsibility. God, it's not wrong that God's provided for you in this way. Remember, it's no, uh, our wealth doesn't reflect our faithfulness or our godliness remember he's already shot that down for so see somebody wealthy to go god must be pleased with them i want to do what they're doing or say somebody poor and go god's not pleased with them they've got sin or something on their mind he's not saying that he's saying some people are wealthy god's blessed them with that that's good good for them but you have extra responsibilities verse 18 command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share this way they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. This is how you have money but also live for eternity. Get your stuff to reflect who you live for, that you live for eternity. Be rich, it's telling us all to be rich, but be rich in good deeds. Be the guy known for known for your generosity, known for living for eternity, not the guy known for how much stuff you have. Make your stuff, show your priorities. Be rich in good deeds. Don't be the guy who's known for what you've got, but be the guy known for what you do. It's what he's saying. Be the guy known for what you do. Point people to eternity. Everything you do, show them you're living for something much greater, not just the here and now. And Look at me and look how what stuff I've got, but look at what I'm living for. Now, the challenge for us here as a church, uh, living in a wealthy country, and as a Prezi church, I know, I'm not sure about other churches, as a Prezi church, we're going okay with our finances. We are really blessed. Uh, our people here are very generous, and we've got options. We've got money to do stuff, which is really good. Just coincidence that we have our AGM today, and we show our finances. This is how our finances are going. Uh, some might say it's showing our dirty laundry. Uh, you know, this is how it is with us, with our dollars and cents. We're accountable for that. We don't have to use that term because Simon Allery is not around here anymore, but it's one of his favourite terms. Showing your dirty laundry. This is it. It's our finances. And I hope you see in our finances, we spend a lot of money on staff. 
staff are hopefully doing their job in enabling our congregation, preparing and equipping to reach our community with the message of Jesus, the message of eternity. That's what they're there for. That's why we invest in that. We spend money supporting missionaries, planting churches in other areas of the world, doing ministry uh, in our local area that's not a part of this church because they're spreading the message of Jesus, spreading the message of trusting him in eternal life. So we think that's good to put money into. We also put money into things like a building. You might have heard about it. Uh, but a building that's down the road, we don't see it very often here on a Sunday morning, but we put money into a building. Now, I've heard some people say, not from here, but in other circles, oh, it's all about building the Southside Kingdom, getting a big building. Say, so, no, it's not about us. In fact, us building the kingdom through a building uh, in fact, it's not going to happen this generation. This generation is going to do all the work, but we're doing it for future generations that they will come. They'll have a place to meet. They don't have to rent a place. They've got their own facility, a good facility, to come to hear about Jesus, get a handle on eternal life and trust in Jesus that. And the building's going to help that mission? Yes. So we're going to help buy a building. So all those things are saying... Yes, we're a church. Yes, we've got money. But yes, we want to invest that money in spreading the message about eternity and trusting Jesus. So using money is important. Using money is important. It's being generous and trusting God to provide. Now, I wonder if we did the same thing. So the church is going to show, here's our bank accounts. This is where our money lies. Uh, this is how we're spending it. I wonder if we did the same thing personally. So next week, I want everybody to bring your last monthly statements from your bank accounts, and we're going to see where you spend your money. Uh, I've, I'm personally challenged by this, to say, is my bank account, not just the final number at the bottom, but how I'm, what I'm spending my money on, does that reflect where I'm spending money looking for eternity? Or is it just on me and my best life now? Is that what it's about? Paul says, no. He says, your best life's to come. Live for that. Lay up treasures in heaven. Invest in that. That's a big challenge. That's a big challenge that I invite you to look over your bank statements and say, look, how am I using my money for eternity? How should it change the way I spend my money? That's a big challenge. Am I trusting God? Is he my God that I truly trust in to supply my daily bread? That is a challenge. I'm going to pray now. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the sacrifice Jesus made to give us the victory. That's not the victory of financial gains, the victory of true life. How about we commit that to him now? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you are truly a loving God. Lord, when we hurt, you hurt. When we bounce for joy, you are joyful. And Lord, we know that you've got our best interests in heart. We know the diversity in this congregation where some people have and some people have less. But Lord, we thank you for your love. It's unconditional and it's not reflected in the haves and haves nots. But your love through Jesus who supplies us all we need and even eternal life and the crown of righteousness. Lord, we cling to that and we thank you for that. Lord, as we think about how we spend our own money, Lord, we want to confess that often we don't think of how we spend it with an eternal perspective. We often want to enjoy the here and now rather than looking for eternity. But Lord, we just pray that you'd put on our hearts that we live for that day. We long for that day where we'll see you on your throne in all your glory. We'll be with you forever. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with the crumbs off the table. Let us long for the day we'll be with you at the banquet table in heaven. Lord, put that on our hearts 
and our wallets and on our bank statements, Lord, that we truly trust you and live for you. Amen.